welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Now in their 14th season, the North Jersey Vipers is one of the premier softball clubs in all of New Jersey and the longest-running softball club in North Jersey. Check out their website, NorthJerseyVipers.com, for more information. All right, the Tri-State was buzzing once again this week as the calendar hits February. We're approaching Valentine's Day. Did you get that something special for your Valentine? UConn, St. John, Seton Hall, all picked up important wins. And how about Rutgers? Their season suddenly got more interesting as they won at Michigan and in College Park for the third straight time. Steve Peichel getting the best of his old pal, Kevin Willard. More on that later. Let's begin, though, with the number one team in the country, your UConn Huskies, who battled a well-coached and rising Butler team as they won their 11th straight Big East game, the longest winning streak in conference play for the Huskies since they won 13 straight in 2008-2009. And here to talk about the UConn Huskies is the voice of the UConn men's basketball team, Mike Crispino. Mike, nice to see you again. Hey Brian, good to see you. Awesome. So Mike, what do you what do you make of this season that UConn is having here? You know, 21 and 2, they've won 11 straight games, their longest win streak since 2008-2009 in Big East play. Um, you know, how do you how do you assess what they've done so far? Well, it's been a great season. Um, uh, I don't know that any of us thought it would be uh this, you know, successful because they lost three main components from uh, last year's team, three starters, plus two significant uh, bench pieces um, coming into the season. So uh, you, you figured Alex Caraban would improve from his freshman year. He started and played a lot of minutes last year. Donovan Klingen came off the bench last year and played 15, 16 minutes at center. And Tristan Newton was back. He was, uh, you know, obviously a significant player uh, for them in their run to the championship. He was the most outstanding player in the championship game. So uh, <clears throat> we didn't know if he was going to come back because he was going to try to play professionally, but none of the possibilities seemed, uh, you know, what he wanted to do. So he came back and uh, it's always good to have high level um, mature players, right? Guys in their mid twenties, not mid twenties, but 22, 23 year old guys mm -hmm. who, you know, significantly more mature physically, mentally, and all that. So those three pieces came back. We, uh, they got lucky, I think, late with um, Cam Spencer. He had been at Rutgers <clears throat> and he had been at uh, Loyola uh, for three years. And Cam, you know, was, uh, was available. And uh, when Andre Jackson <clears throat> went to the draft and we didn't know if that was going to happen, but uh, Milwaukee indicated they were going to try to draft him. So he left and Cam Spencer was available. And Dan Hurley jumped on that because <clears throat> Spencer seemed to be the kind of guy that would really fit with UConn and his uh, his just abilities, you know, to shoot, pass, uh, mature playmaking kind of guard. And so Spencer came aboard. And the other piece was Hassan Diara who was uh, not playing much toward the end of last year because he wasn't really productive. Uh, he had transferred from Texas A&M the previous year and uh, had a good start to his season, but then tailed off. 
Uh, and so this year he stepped up. So they've had a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of uh, guys that have <clears throat> really helped them uh, that we weren't 100% sure what would happen. Let's talk about Cam Spencer, because to me, he was the final piece of Hurley's puzzle. And I've heard Hurley talk about him, uh, read the quotes, and, and he's gone on record saying, you know, without Cam Spencer, we were a very good team. But with him, he makes us a national championship contender. Would you agree with that? I would, because he's a he's the kind of guy that can score for you. Uh, his last four games, he's gone 11 of 23 from three, averaged 17 points. He's also been surprisingly a good rebounder and a good help defender. He's not yeah. a great on-ball defender. He's not that quick. Guys will try to take advantage of him. But with Klingon back there to kind of clean stuff up, Spencer gets bailed out a lot. Uh, but his his ability to play make, uh, his assist to turnover ratio is excellent. Uh, he's had eight steals and 21 rebounds, let's say, you know, just for instance, in the last four games. So he does so many things well. And he's 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 kind of like Newton in the sense that he's got ice water in his veins. Not much bothers him. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know what his pulse is. I'm not sure. <laughs> Mike, he loves the spotlight. He loves taking the big shot. He He's the biggest trash talker on this UConn team, and it's surprising, right? He just comes out out of nowhere, and, and he's like, yeah, guys, I'm going to talk shit in practice, and if you don't talk back to me, I'm just going to put you down. And he does. He backs it up, Mike. I know. The first time I met him, was at a Donnie Marshall charity golf event in the summer at Lake of Isles up in Connecticut. And he was in our group and I'd never met him. And we started talking on the range and we're having fun. And I'm watching him swing a golf club. He's a, he's a great athlete, good lacrosse player. Yes. His brother one of the best lacrosse players in the country. <clears throat> but anyway, he is uh, an excellent golfer, driving a ball all over the place. He ends up in our group. And, you know, we play, you know, those, those scramble events you play with these charity things. And uh, so anyway, Spencer and I are on the green at one of the, one of the greens front nine. And, and I'm always putting just before him because we have a little rotation. And so <laughs> I would miss a putt and we're trying to make a birdie. Let's say he looks at me and he goes, why didn't you make that That's <laughs> terrible? And I'm like, you're right. That is terrible. I should have made that. And then he goes, yeah, now I have to make that. And so he is, I mean, he's so competitive. And what he missed on a couple of putts we had, he was genuinely upset. And this is just a charity have fun event. But that's how competitive the guy is. He he is uh, extraordinary as far as that stuff goes. And I think it fuels him when he gets into the, under the skin of his teammates. It's, it's in, it's good natured, but deep down, that dude competes about as hard as anybody. Oh, without a doubt. And and it shows, right? It shows with his emotions on the court. Kind of an extension of Dan Hurley. Wouldn't you say how competitive he is? I would. And you know, you know this because you've been around. When guys go on the road, it's a different environment. You know, you don't have the crowd behind you. Yeah. You got the crowd against you. And Spencer seems to enjoy it. I, I think of games uh, like Kansas we played. Uh, other road games, Butler, uh, Xavier, um, where the crowds are intense. They really are. They're excellent home court advantages. Spencer, unfazed. Just, he just keeps playing. He just keeps doing what he does. He does not get distracted. 
by all the outside noise when we're on the road. So I, I always appreciate that because long, long time ago when I started in this and I, I fortunately was able to uh, do play by play for the Celtics and we had Larry Bird and we had Parrish and we had McHale and Ainge and all those guys. And I always remember them particularly juiced up to play on the road <laughs> and it was it took that because to win on the road in the nba you got a 50 50 chance at best if you have a good team so uh, i mean bird would get up for it he would love to silence the crowd and spencer's a lot like him not you know in his skill level but but in his mentality and that is uh that goes a long way i think to succeeding when you're playing in hostile environments that is special uh one man who came alive. I'm going to put it this way, Mike, last game against Butler. It was Klingon and it was Spencer. And Donovan Klingon comes up with 18 points, a career high, 14 rebounds. And after the game, his quote just, it, it brought chills through my spine. When he said, I came in with the mindset, I had to kill my opponent or do whatever it takes to win. This is, you know, 19 year old Donovan Klingon. Where did that come from? I think it comes from Dan Hurley because Donovan's the nicest person on the planet. You couldn't meet a nicer kid. And he's, a, you just said, he's 19 years old. He's a teenager. So here he is playing against this veteran team from Butler, all transferred guys from Michigan State and various schools, Wyoming, and all, all guys who had been like player of the year in their leagues and had come to Butler to play for Thad Mata. And they were all in their like I said earlier, 22, 23, 24-year-old guys. So they're five years older than him. And I think that Klingon in, in his sophomore years had injury issues a little bit, been up and down physically. And I think Dan's gotten into him a little bit about being uh, having killer instinct, meaning no more Mr. Nice Guy on the court. You have to be our meanest player. You have to be the guy on the back of our defense that just rejects shots dominates the boards and just makes it so that the opponent doesn't want to come in the paint. We don't want you in here. And if you come in here, I am going to deny you. And I think Dan's been after him for a week or two about it because he had a couple of uh, games where he got in foul trouble and had to sit on the bench and missed like 25 minutes of the game. And so uh, for UConn to succeed long-term in this season, he's got to be there. He's got to be available. He's got to be the, the linchpin defensively in the paint to keep the opponent from having a run of things in the paint, you know, getting close range layup kind of shots. And I think it finally got through to him. He finally, after a couple of kind of mediocre games for him, he basically stood up and said, it ain't happening today. And boy, that was good to see because if he plays like that here down the stretch, these last seven or eight games into the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament beyond that, I mean, there's no telling what this team could do. Yeah, and, and Thad Mata had some great things to say about him, how he's he's just a game changer. Uh, I don't know if it was Jamil Telford or might have been DJ Davis, one of those two, because they were hot for Butler. I mean, he's coming out on the three-point line and blocking a shot uh, in that first half. It just shows the length. He was altering shots, and he only had three blocks. But, boy, he must have altered, a, a, you know, at least a half dozen more, Mike. Yeah, no question. I mean... Uh, I call it, <laughs> I say he's a deterrent. And I say, I see so many times guys will blow by their defender on the perimeter. Yeah. Maybe they'll beat Spencer. Maybe they'll beat Newton down the lane. And and then you get in there and you look up and, 
You got a seven one guy with tremendous reach who's just waiting for you. And that changes a lot about what you're going to try to do. I mean, I've seen so many uh, other opponent guards get into the paint and just literally turn around and kick the ball back outside because there's no point. You're not going to, you're not going to beat him. You might get him to foul you once in a while and you might get a shot off from maybe 15 feet, but you get in eight to 10 feet and you're in no man's land. And that's the beauty of what Klingon does. He's going to alter shots. You know, Hey, you and I, we're in an era when, you know, Patrick Ewing was doing that so well for those dominant Georgetown teams. Um, UConn is on a special run here, Mike. 11 straight wins in the Big East Conference. Haven't done that since they've won 13 in a row. The next two are on the road at Georgetown, at DePaul. You got to think they're going to win those the way they're going. I mean, they're going to tie that that streak of that team. And then, then they're going to get into an interesting part of the schedule, right? They still have to play Marquette twice, home and home with them. Uh, Villanova coming up and Creighton on the road. They end the Seton Hall's coming in and then they end the year with uh, Providence at, you know, the dunk. And boy, what what an atmosphere that's going to be. Did you, did you see that game last night? Did you happen to stay up and watch I their did. performance against Creighton? Oh, that place, what a home court advantage, huh? Oh, absolutely. UConn went in there last year and got pounded. Uh, Bryce Hopkins was playing then and obviously the Friars miss him. Uh, that was unfortunate. He had a knee injury. I think with him in their lineup, they'd, they're certainly an NCAA team. But even this team, uh, yeah. Devin Carter, uh, Oduro is really good. And when they played UConn at Gamble, I thought both of those guys were tremendous. And yes, that is a fabulous home court advantage. UConn's got three, four difficult games to wrap the season of the last six. I mean, everybody's tough. Villanova is very capable. Seton Hall obviously already beat UConn. Then those roadies at Creighton, at Marquette, at Providence. So, yeah, they finished with six difficult games. Uh, Georgetown and DePaul are not having good seasons. But on the road, trust me, you know this, anything can happen. I'm never going to be overconfident. And I know Dan Hurley isn't because bad things happen. Strange things happen on the road. <laughs> Somebody lights it up. You know, somebody like uh, – like Jaden Epps might go off on Saturday and, and score 30. He's done that three yes. times already this year. <laughs> I mean, anything could happen. Supreme Cook is a guy that had a tremendous game against the Huskies first time around with uh double-double, I think. So you got some players there. And and uh, Ed Cooley is an excellent coach. He'd been around 18 years. He's won 350 games or something like that. Been to the NCAA tournament seven of nine years with Providence. So having said all that, when you're number one in the country, you have a target on your back. When you're UConn, you're the defending champions, you have a target on your back. You have two targets on your back. Anybody playing them in the next six weeks, four, five, six weeks, is saying to themselves, if we can only beat these guys, mm. wow, will that be a nice piece on our resume? And to me, Marquette, Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall, Providence, all could be NCAA teams. They could. And a win over UConn puts you in a different category. So that's why I think all of these games are going to be difficult. I love it, Mike. It, it, you, you, I can see you've done your preparation already for this Georgetown game. Just, you know, Ed Cooley, 350 wins in seven out of the last nine years. Unless, unless you have an encyclopedia for a memory. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always doing I'm always doing homework, you know. Yeah. In this in this business, if you're not watching everything, if you're not listening to everything, if you're not up on what's going on in the various 
you know, websites, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff on websites is just conjecture and opinion, but there are things you find out there too. So, I mean, it's fun though. It's not really work as you know, uh, it's, it's what we love. Yeah. And so for me, it's a, it's a constant, I mean, I get ready for a game, you know, three days in advance, it's only basketball and we play two or three a week, but if you're not constantly adding to your little encyclopedia of information, uh, you're not doing the best job you can do. So that, that's why it's uh, I'm always kind of developing little storylines just in case that it comes up. Right. Right. Mike, that that's why you've done this for so long and done it uh, on every level for so long. You know, it's like I was talking to Vince Carter one day after a Nets practice and I was sitting there waiting for him and, and he's over there shooting left handed three pointers. Just one after another, catch and shoot, left-handed three-pointers. And after he finally got done, he came over to me and I said, Vince, what are you doing shooting left-handed three-pointers? And he goes, you never know when you're going to have to use that in a game. Right? Like Larry Bird playing that one game. I'm going to play this game left-handed. And he scores a triple-double. Uh, so, Mike, yeah, it's your preparation. And, and you never know when you're going to need some piece of uh, nugget of information out there. So kudos to you. So here's the question, Mike. Last year's UConn team plays this year's UConn team. Obviously, it can't happen. You have some of the same guys out there, but which team wins? Oh, wow. No one's ever asked me that. That's a good question. We we had this event uh, last night in Stanford, Connecticut, where a, a number of UConn fans came to meet the team and the coaches, and it was great a great affair. There was 200-plus people there, and we were talking about – we had basketball signed by last year's team. So we had some fans talking about, well, you know, if Jackson had to guard Castle, <laughs> right. if, who had to, who, who would guard Jordan Hawkins? You know what I mean? Uh, how would Klingon do against Sonogo? So we all got into that discussion and it really is an interesting uh, discussion. Last year's team didn't really come together completely until the NCAA tournament. They won six games all by double figures and we have these championship rings and they outscored their opponents in the tournament. I'm going to look real quick here. They got this ring that they gave us a ring, Bri. It was 20 four. points, right? They were, they were, they were beating them. They were bludgeoning teams. 120 points. It says in this ring, uh, look they at outscored that. their opponents by 120 points. Look at that thing. There you go. That, so, that, how often do you bring that ring out, Mike? Uh, not that often, okay. but I brought it out last night. <laughs> People loved it. They were all trying it on. They're going, let me see that. Let me oh, see what yeah. That, that is something. Well, I don't have, this is the first time I ever had one of these. And they're all oh. trying it on. They're looking at it. You get your name on it and, you know, the the uh, the Huskies record and national champions, all these diamonds. And anyway, the, uh, the point being that team came together and uh, we had Tom Moore on our panel, the assistant coach with Luke Murray and Dan was there talking about last year's team and how mm. they came together in the tournament. When we went in there to play Iona in Albany, Rick Pitino had them playing great. They won 28 games or whatever. I wasn't even sure that UConn could get by them because they had lost two straight years in the NCAA tournament first round. Dan Hurley was like uh, a little bit on the edge, right? Tough, he was it was their toughest tournament. game of the tournament in a lot of ways. I think so. And then Iona goes in at half leading. And they're playing really well. So anyway, UConn comes out. They they win the game in the second half. And they go on to beat St. Mary's, which is a good team as well. And then, you know, Arkansas, then Gonzaga, they, they you know, <laughs> bum rush them. 
And then they get to Houston, and uh, they're able to win those two games against great teams. Miami was having a hell of a year. And San Diego State had won a, a buzzer beater to, to get there. And I thought the emotion would be running really high for San Diego State. But my point is, UConn peaked at the right time last year. They won six games by double figures and routed all six teams. It, it was comfortable almost, which is unheard of in these NCAA tournaments. So now this year's team is on a roll. They won yeah. 11 in a row, as you said. They've been holding teams under 70, seven straight times. They're, they're just doing things that is almost record-breaking. So can they keep that up? Can they run seven more regular season games together? Can they get through the Big East tournament? There's a long way to go. There might be 15 games left for them. But I think this year's team has the capability to do what last year's team did. Uh, they're going to have to be a little lucky somewhere. They're going to have to get a break or two. Uh, they're going to have to stay, you know, free of injury. All that stuff has to happen. But I I'm not going to tell you that this year's team would beat last year's team. Because uh, last year's team uh, won the whole thing. All right. I'm not this saying which team, team is better. Done. I'm not saying which team is better because they would have to, right? If this team wins the national championship and they go back to back for the first time since I think it was the Florida teams, Right. Yes. When when uh, Billy Donovan was coaching Florida and before that, you have to go back to Duke in like 91 and 92. It, it's rare. If they played today, I'm going to say that this year's UConn team would be a slight favorite at Gamble Pavilion by maybe, you know, two points, a point and a half. Agree or disagree? All right. Listen, I'm going to agree with you. But my problem is who covers Newton? Newton's going to cover himself. I mean, what, what is this? Well, you clone him. You clone him. And how great would that be? Yeah, who guards Caravan? Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, let me think for a second. Uh, I guess it would be Andre Jackson. I don't know. Uh, yeah, listen, we we are in a sweet uh, spot for UConn basketball. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be part of it uh, because we get to see uh, this kind of performance almost night in and night out. I mean, they haven't had any real bad ones. Seton Hall second half, that was ugly. Uh, Klingon got hurt and UConn just went in the tank. They didn't play well. Uh, Kansas Spencer was hurt. Uh, most of the game, he was really off with a, with a couple of, both his feet were injured. Yeah. And, and he still had a chance if he makes an open shot to give them a lead with like three seconds left. So, <laughs> I mean, having said that, I feel like this, this team has beaten uh, a really good North Carolina team. You know, they're yeah. really good. They're two or three in the four in the country. Uh, they've beaten Texas, which I think is a really good team. Um, I saw Illinois at the Garden. I think they're really good. I know Purdue. We I've been watching them all year. They are, uh, to me, a Final Four. Uh, I don't want to say a, a cinch because they've had their issues in the tournament. Oh yeah, they got to get there. They got to get there, Mike. Matt Painter. That that's the that's the he's got to get that monkey off his back. Yeah, but I think they're better, Brian, this year because their guards are really good. They can score. They can shoot. It takes a lot of pressure off Edie, and Edie can just pound the boards and do stuff. And, boy, I, I, I'd i be shocked if they don't get there. I, I think Purdue fans are going to, you know, run to run to Painter's house and get him out of town. I, that's the one game that I really would love to see. Uh, they're trending toward the number one seeds, right? Boy, yeah. that, I mean, Edie and and – and Klingon and uh, th those backcourts, that would be something. That would be something. So the other team, the other team too, uh, Brian, I think it's Houston. Great defensive team. Kelvin Sampson. Uh, I thought he should have been there last year. They kind of, they kind of flamed out because their offense went to the hell. 
uh, but they're they're damn good. And uh, you know, Kansas obviously, uh, but we saw Kansas at their place, and I feel like UConn could win against them if they had to play them again. Uh, who are the others that you think? I mean, I've seen Tennessee a few times. Uh, we transitioning here to this Final Four shit, but <laughs> yeah, no, uh, listen, it's it's, it's great. Good. It's yeah, great. That's what we do. I I, I think you mentioned. You mentioned most of the teams there. You know, I don't I don't think anybody from the Pac-12, you know, Wisconsin has suddenly gone into a big slump. They were they, they were the second best team out there. Could Marquette make a run? There's a team right there that, you know, if Kolick is right, boy, I mean, he he's the reigning Big East player of the year. And and also Igodaro is is as good as any post player in, in the country. So, yeah, you know, no, there's I, another I team we can throw into the mix. I believe, well, again, I thought and last Duke, year. Yeah, Duke. I, I think Duke is really good too, but I think I I wouldn't I don't want to say I wouldn't be concerned, but I think UConn could play them. Okay. And I think they could win a game against them if they had to. The other two, though, Marquette and Creighton last year, I thought got bad breaks a little bit. I thought they should have been regional finalists. I thought they should have had a real good chance to to win and get to the final four. Uh, you know, Creighton's got a great coach, Greg McDermott, uh, Shaka Smart's done an excellent job at Marquette. They play different Marquette. They're, they're a little bit more difficult to play against. UConn found out they lost two out of three to them last year. Um, I, I think Marquette is, is to me a, a final four possibility because of what you mentioned, the players they have, the coach they have. The way they defend, they got out on the perimeter against UConn in the Big East tournament and eliminated them in a close game, two-point game. Uh, their defense was really impressive, and they got UConn way off their game, and they were able to beat them. So I, I think Marquette, in their in their minds, is saying, we got a formula. We know how to beat these guys. So I think they're going to be very dangerous here down the stretch. Two times UConn's got to play them here in the next six, yeah. six, seven, eight games. And then, you know, they couldn't meet in the Big East tournament. And then who knows what happens in the NCAA tournament. Right. So, yeah, I agree. Marquette is a definite contender. Yeah, and you you said it, Mike. UConn is going to be tested. No team in the Big East uh, has, in a 20-game season, the record is 17 wins. Marquette did it last year. Uh, Villanova was 16-2 and two at best when they played 18 games. So, look, yeah. if somehow UConn can get to 18-2, and two, Lose one more game. That, that's a tough task. Seven and one the rest of the way. Can this team make history, Mike, or even tie history uh, by going 17 and three or 18 and two? It's possible. Uh, they got the two home games. They got three home games Marquette at the XL, Villanova at Gamble, Seton Hall at Gamble. Uh, they've beaten Villanova and Seton Hall already. Uh, they've been perfect at home. Dan Hurley's been preaching that too. Uh, let's have a clean slate at home with that. He said, if we can do that, I think we can win the Big East regular season. And they haven't done that in a quite a long time, uh, which is kind of funny because they've won national championships, but they haven't won their own conference yeah. uh, over the last whatever, how many years? It must be 15 years, seven of them, which were in the AAC. So you, you can't count that, obviously. Uh, but yes, they, there's a possibility they could sweep their home schedule and then maybe just maybe be able to win the Big East regular season. One thing he's done, Brian, is is Hurley. He's set short goals for these guys. He said, let's, like when they went to New York and played in that tournament there against Texas and Indiana, they had a little picture of the actual trophy, you know, for that pre, those, those preseason tournaments, yeah. which are usually two games. And, and they put a trophy up in the locker room and, and a picture of it. And they said, let's win that. 
And so the guys walk in the locker room, they see that. That's what they're trying to win. Now, the next thing that's been in the locker room here the last several weeks, the Big East regular season trophy, that's been there. And so that's what they look at when they come in the locker room. That's what they're trying to play for. They don't get ahead of themselves. And I think that's a really important thing because you could get ahead of yourself. Everyone's telling you you're the number one ranked team. You're a number one seed. You know, there's still a month to play here. There's a lot of games to play. So one thing Dan Hurley's done well, I think, is he keeps them in the moment. They stay humble. They don't get overconfident. And he's the perfect guy to do that because he will find something. He'll find something that didn't go right. And he actually did it to Castle the other night after the game. Castle had a five-point game. He had yeah. a couple bum plays that he made, whatever. He said, well, yeah, Castle, he took a step back tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, that kid, Steph Castle's a, a legit great player, but he's only played 16 college games. So while everyone's blowing his horn for him, Dan Hurley said he took a step back tonight. I, I was with Castle last night and the rest of the players, and I know, I know that that stuff gets under the skin of these guys. And so keeping your players even keeled and not letting them read the, the press clippings and not letting them get on social media and find out how great they are, that's his job. And Dan Hurley does it as well as anybody. I trust him to do that, to keep these guys in the right frame of mind to continue to succeed you got to have that because things are going really well they won 11 in a row right you could you could get overconfident you could get complacent that could happen easily easily mike that's why and for my money dan hurley's one of the top two or three coaches in the country period and he's going to win multiple national championships whether it's this year before he's done uh said he's not going to coach beyond 65 that's what he <laughs> said and He's got about 12 more years left before that. So, Mike, hey, it sounds like you're really enjoying this run here. And like we said before, you, you've done play-by-play -play and sports casting all over the country and for the NBA and uh, St. John's, the Celtics. Uh, sounds like you're really enjoying this gig. Yeah, it's been great because I've always had, like when I was at St. John's, I had a couple of good years. They, they didn't, they struggled to, you know, get to the top half of their own conference uh, Celtics were sort of at the end of their reign, so things weren't a hundred. Wouldn't they weren't championship caliber at the time? Uh, the Knicks had a couple of good years when I first got to New York, and then when I was doing play by play for them, they were struggling. You know, they're trying to win thirty games. So you do enough teams that that can't get to that level that UConn is at right now, and you you really appreciate it because every day I go to that arena, I don't know what's going to happen, but I always feel like something good's going to happen. And that's a great feeling to have when you're, when you're, that's the beauty I think of when you're, when you're covering one team, when things aren't going well, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're ready for letdowns, but with this team in the last couple of years, every time I go to the gym, I say to myself, I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but I feel like something good could happen. And that's a really nice feeling to have when you're broadcasting. Yeah. Good for you, Mike. Congratulations. Hall of Fame broadcasting career. Uh, keep up the good work and go Huskies. All right. Thanks for coming on. All right, Brian, go Huskies. All right. That's the great Mike Crispino. And that was a lot of fun. Mike has a lot of great insight and listen, I didn't know that Cam Spencer was a great golfer. Why not? He was an excellent lacrosse player. As Mike alluded to his older brother was the 
player of the year nationally at Loyola. And he can golf. So nothing surprises me with that guy. Uh, he is as competitive as they get. Things are going to get very interesting for UConn, though, right? As we said, Georgetown to Paul. And then we're going to see what the Huskies are made out of over the last six games. They're going to be fun. Marquette twice in that span. How does that happen with the scheduling, right? But they're going to have to go to three of the toughest environments in the Big East. Marquette, Creighton, and Providence. First Creighton, then Marquette, then Providence to close out the season. I mean, how do you not give the coach of the year to Dan Hurley if they go 18-2 and two in the Big East? Long way to go. We shall see. But those games are going to be fun to watch. All right. A lot more to talk about here in the Tri-State. So let's go around the Tri-State now. I want to get to Seton Hall, St. John's, and Rutgers in that order. First, Seton Hall. Big win over Georgetown, and I say that because they avoided the dreaded quad four loss. Yes, they struggled. Yes, they didn't play well. But in the end, Seton Hall survived 76-70 over Georgetown, and they survived because of Dre Davis and Kadari Richmond. Dre Davis is the glue guy. He is the player who does it all. Mr. Consistency for Seton Hall, 13 straight games in double figures, and last week had the first double-double of his career, 16 points and 12 rebounds at DePaul. He followed that up with an even better double-double, a career-high 25 points and 10 rebounds. They called his number early. They called his number late, and Dre Davis delivered. He's undersized, but boy, you cannot find a player with more heart on this Seton Hall team than Dre Davis. He goes up against power forwards. He goes inside with the trees. He's developed a nice little step back fadeaway, can hit the mid range and can go up strong. He is playing the best basketball of his career and Seton Hall needed him last night. Because Styles and Epps were dudes. And Cook, Supreme Cook, Seton Hall fans know him well. Fairfield fans know him well. Supreme Cook transferred from Fairfield. He was very coveted. It came down between Seton Hall and Georgetown. Supreme Cook went to Georgetown. He had a fine game. 20 points and 11 rebounds. So between Cook and uh, Jaden Epps, and Dontrez Styles, Georgetown was hanging around. And guess what? I've said it before on this podcast. Georgetown is going to be in some games. I know they've only beaten DePaul. That is their lone conference win. But they will win another game or two down the stretch. I haven't even looked at their schedule. They'll beat DePaul, and then they'll win one other game at least. Ed Cooley has them playing hard. They have some players. And listen, it's the Big East. You never know what's going to happen. But if it wasn't for the play of Dre Davis last night, I don't know if Seton Hall wins this game. Kadari Richmond was in foul trouble and then finished out the game the last 12 minutes. And before you know it, he had 20 points, seven rebounds, and eight assists. The quietest near triple-double you'll ever see. 
Why? Because he had 13 of 16 free throws. That's why. 13 of his 20 points were at the free throw line. He was money. Seton Hall did what they were supposed to do. They won. Okay, you want to beat Georgetown by 30 at home and you want your net to go up, you know, 8, 10 points? It's not going to happen. It didn't happen. You avoid the disastrous loss. Now Seton Hall is 8-4 and four in conference play. They went into this stretch at DePaul, home to Georgetown, knowing they had to get right. They had to get out of that, the doldrums of where they lost three straight games. They had to get Kadari Richmond healthy. He said after the game, he's 100% healthy. Look, he looked fine out there. Whether he's 100 or, or 90, Kadari Richmond was ready to play. So as he gets his legs under him, now Seton Hall sits alone in third place in the Big East Conference. Why? Because Providence beat Creighton in one of the games of the year in the Big East, in overtime, at the dunk. So that win at Providence is looking better and better for Seton Hall, okay? Providence has lost five games total at their home arena in the last like three years, and two of those losses have been to Seton Hall. So now Seton Hall is eight and four with a big opportunity at Villanova, Super Bowl Sunday, 12 o'clock, national television. And Seton Hall fans, you know this, Seton Hall is not one at Villanova. They've won once in the last 20 years, once. And that was the Miles Powell team when they won at the Wells Fargo Center. Okay, so it doesn't happen very often. This is a quad one opportunity, a chance to win your fifth quad one game and improve your metrics dramatically. So as Seton Hall looks at its upcoming schedule, they have four remaining games at home, four remaining games on the road. Win your games at home and win one more on the road. You have four more quad one opportunities on the road at Villanova, at St. John's, at Creighton or at UConn. If they can get one or two of those quad one opportunities, Seton Hall is sitting just fine. Win the games at home, and one of those quad one opportunities, that's five and three down the stretch, that gets you to 13 wins. That should be more than enough on Selection Sunday. All right, that's the Seton Hall story. Let's talk St. John's. The Johnnies also won a game they were supposed to win against DePaul, the worst Division I major basketball team in the country. I said it last podcast. I'll say it again. DePaul is trending to 0-20. And, and if they do that, they're likely going to be ranked as the worst Big East team in Big East Conference history. But this is not about DePaul. This is about St. John's. St. John's in this game did something remarkable. Rick Patino said, guys, we're going to go out there and we're going to shoot the three. And we're going to shoot the three again and again and again. And we're going to shoot the three all night long. They jacked it up 40 times and made 15. Their most made three-pointers in a Big East game ever. It worked to perfection. 
They routed DePaul. The game was close for a little bit, but they ended up winning 85-57 and looked good doing it. It's good that Jordan Dingle got back. He had been 0 for his previous 11 from 3. He hit 4 of 10 in this game. You'll take it and had 14 points. He had been in a miserable slump from 3, so it's good to see him get right. Danis Jenkins continues to be the best player on this team. The most consistent player, 14 points, three assists, three rebounds. Chris Ledlam, as Rick Pitino pointed out after the game, hey, he only scored six points, but he does the dirty work. When Soriano's not getting the rebounds, it's Chris Ledlam who needs to be in there. And when he's not in there, St. John's rebounding numbers drop way down. He had 10 rebounds. All right, good to see Simeon Wilcher get out there for 12 minutes. This was a game that everybody played. Everybody. Naheem Aline came off the bench and did what he does well. So St. John's got the game they needed to get. They improved the record to 6-6 six and six in the Big East. And now comes the tough part. Now comes a really tough challenging couple of games ahead at Marquette on Saturday at Providence. St. John's needs to find a way to win one of those two games. Quad one opportunities. Marquette is playing and looking like the second best team in the big East right now. Providence is coming off a huge win against Creighton. St. John's will be underdogs in both of those games. We know they've struggled from three this year. Maybe this gets them going. They have to defend. They gave Marquette one heck of a game at home earlier this year. We saw that game at the Garden. It was a game that was there for St. John's. Furious second half comeback. They had the ball late, had opportunities late. Jenkins had the shot, couldn't get it to go. That was the game Kolick was missing one free throw after another. Ledlam had a chance to give him a lead late and Jenkins at the buzzer. So now St. John's knows they have to play even better because now they're going on the road. Is it impossible? No. But Kolick is playing at a high level once again. They need to contain him. They need to cut off the head of the snake. Because then, beyond him, you still have a great supporting cast. Cam Jones. Oso Iguodaro. All right? There are guys that know how to play. And is it a good matchup for St. John's? I think it is. I think they match up well with Marquette. But when you go on the road, where St. John's has struggled this year, and St. John's is still searching for a marquee win because sweeping Villanova only gets you so far. These are opportunities. Quad one opportunities. Find a way to win at least one. That's St. John's. We'll see what happens with them. Now let's turn our attention to Rutgers. Rutgers, my, oh my. Where did this come from? It's one thing to go into Michigan and beat a struggling Michigan team. 
But did you see what Michigan just did to Wisconsin? Okay. One game after Michigan suffers what they're thinking is their worst loss of the season, losing at home to Rutgers, when Michigan had a 15-point lead in that game. Now they come home and they beat Wisconsin somehow, some way. So Wisconsin, oh, by the way, is coming into Jersey Mike's on, on Saturday. But Rutgers looks like a different team. Rutgers has new energy, new life. Why? Because one player can make a difference. One player has made all the difference. Jeremiah Williams is a player that I honestly didn't know much about other than on statistics, okay? I knew he was good at Temple. I knew he sat out at, at Iowa State with an Achilles. He hadn't really played in, in a year and a half, almost two years. Seeing him against Michigan and then at Maryland, how impressive is he? This is the missing piece of Rutgers' backcourt that they've been missing all year. A floor general who's six foot five, who plays downhill, who can finish at the rim, who's not afraid of the moment, who distributes the ball, who makes defenders backpedal. He is a facilitator and he is dangerous going downhill with the ball in his hands. And at six foot five, he creates matchup problems. How many times this year have we seen Derek Simpson and Jamichael Davis be outmuscled, outsized by bigger, stronger, older guards? Jeremiah Williams is a redshirt junior. He should be a senior. 21, 22 years old. He's a man. Scored 10 points against Michigan, was a difference, difference maker. And then against Maryland, a team that Rutgers is trying to catch in the Big Ten, a team that needed this win to continue to help their chances at making the NCAA tournament, who was at home, lost the game to Rutgers. So right now, Maryland is reeling. And they're trending in the opposite direction under Kevin Willard, who's really struggling to get his team going. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the country. And you saw that in the game against Rutgers. But you also saw a team in Rutgers that has gained more confidence, that is now deeper in the backcourt, that Derek Simpson had the big game against Michigan with 19 points. And then one game later, it's Williams who had the big game with 14 points. And he made the biggest play in this game late. Rutgers was up nine late in the game after Derek Simpson hit a big shot with just under three minutes to go. I think it was two minutes and 43 seconds. Simpson got a little too emotional. Simpson was so emotional, he got called for taunting, a technical foul. So now Maryland gets two shots plus the ball. And they reel off a 7-0 run. And what was a nine-point lead in game over is now just a two-point lead. Rutgers scrambling to hold on to the lead. Under a minute to go, Rutgers needs a basket. Simpson has the ball outside of the three-point line. He's being double-teamed. He's being pushed off the line. He's being pushed away from the 
the uh, basket. Shot clock's winding down five, four. He hands the ball off to Davis. I'm sorry. He hands the ball off to Williams with less than three seconds left. Clears through the lane. Opens up the lane. Williams blows by one defender, blows by another, and by the skin of his teeth, releases the ball at the rim with one-tenth of a second left replay showed on the shot clock. I don't know how he got it off. I thought for sure, shot clock violation, Maryland ball, down one, they're going to take the lead. Instead, replay showed the basket counted. Rutgers goes up three, and then they play amazing defense down the stretch, just like they had all game. And hold on for a 56-53 victory. For my money, that was their most impressive win of the season. Michigan, you kind of expected that they had a chance to win there. Maryland, a little tougher, a little stronger, a little more talented, and certainly has had more success. But what they did defensively in that game, holding Jameer Young to three of 17 in that game. Yeah, he scored 16 points, but he had to work three for 17. Mawat Mag shut down Dante Scott, who's a mismatch for a lot of teams in the Big Ten. Rutgers handled Maryland's two best players. Mawat Mag continues to raise his game defensively and offensively. Not only is, is Steve Peichel singing his praises defensively, but Kevin Willard was saying he hasn't seen a defender who defends like Mawat Mag in a long time. High, high praise. So now... Mag is playing at this level, and then he's doing it offensively. Led the team in 15 points, six of nine. Mag and Williams were difference makers in this game. So what will Rutgers do now? All right, they've kind of righted the ship. They've kind of gotten to a place now where, okay, we're out of the Big Ten basement. We're 12 and 10. We still have a long ways to go to come back to 500. And, you know, that Mason Dixon line at four and seven in the Big Ten. So looking ahead, Wisconsin. A week ago, I would have said loss. Now, Wisconsin comes in licking their wounds with three straight losses, and they've shown some vulnerability. Rutgers has not played at the rack like we know they can. They suffered a loss to Illinois when they got blown out. They had their worst loss of the season against Penn State. Can they get right? Can they knock off Wisconsin and go three wins in a row and then face a Northwestern team? This is their most challenging two-game stretch the rest of the way. There are tough games left. Of course, they have to go to Purdue. Of course, they have to go to Minnesota. But these two games, Wisconsin and Northwestern, they're at home. They're looking for some Jersey Mike's magic, 
some rack magic. Win the next two. Shock the world. Get to 14 and 10. Get to 6 and 7 in the Big Ten. Then, Rutgers fans, you can start saying, whoa, wait a minute, what can we do here? But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's see what happens with Wisconsin. If they beat Wisconsin, then Rutgers fans are going to be all giddy. And Thursday, February 15th, is going to be another jam-packed Jersey Mike's Arena. So good to see Rutgers lift up the spirits of their fans again, lift up the spirits of their team again. And it's all due to one player, Jeremiah Williams. I don't think the, that he feels the weight of the world is on his shoulders because this kid, it seems like he can handle it. It seems like he's not afraid of this moment. And that's what's been missing from this Rutgers team. A go-to guy, a guy who wants the ball, a guy who can make shots in the clutch. At times they've had it with Derek Simpson. At times there have been players who have hit big shots, but I think, I think Williams is just, he's cut, he's cut above. It's because he's been there. It's because he's a little bit older, a little more mature, a little stronger, a little taller. We'll see what happens. Saturday, Jersey Mike's Arena. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My thanks to our sponsor, North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Check them out if you, your daughter, or your niece, or someone you know wants to play high-level softball for an elite program, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Continue to share us. Give us a review wherever you catch our podcast. I do appreciate you listening. My name is Brian DeNovellis. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long.